To love learning. To laugh. To love. To be loved. To see beauty. To understand. To bring grace. To the things that matter most. This is Psychology America with Dr. Alexandra. Welcome to my show. For every life stage, we have questions. Let's enhance our lives together as we explore the things that matter most. Hello, listeners. I have with me Robert McGrath, Bob McGrath, author with Ryan Nemiak of The Power of Character Strengths, which is coming out in early 2019. Bob, you're the director of the School of Psychology of Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey. You're the senior scientist at the VIA Institute on Character. You're the director of integrated care for the underserved of Northeastern New Jersey. You're the New Jersey Psychological Association Psychologist of the Year recipient, also the recipient of the Fairleigh Dickinson University Distinguished Faculty Award for Research and Scholarship. I am so excited to have you here today, and I want to give listeners an overview of the topic, because we're going to be talking about virtue and character. Okay. And I'm going to start with an overview so they can understand the context and all that's already been done on this in this area. Um, Peterson and Seligman in 2004 put together a book that I have here called Character Strengths and Virtues. And this book sought to create a classification of moral excellence and uh, character strengths and virtues. And the way that they do that they did this is fascinating to me. They started by looking at the writings of religious and moral traditions across the world and across history to see what they had in common. And I think a lot of us wonder about this, like what do all the religions have in common? And they looked at Judeo-Christian virtues, including the Proverbs and Thomas Aquinas. They looked at Islamic virtues from the Quran and Al-Farabi's work. They looked at Confucius, Lao Tzu from Taoism, Buddhism's Holy Eightfold Path and the Five Precepts. They looked at Hinduism, and they looked at Plato and Aristotle. And after all of this review, they identified six common principles that were common among all of these traditions, and they called these the six virtues. And they are wisdom and knowledge, courage, humanity, justice, temperance, and transcendence. And under the umbrella of these six virtues, they created 24 of what they call character strengths. And these character strengths define each of the virtues. So for example, the virtue called temperance um, has character strengths under it, which are forgiveness, mercy, humility, modesty, prudence, and self-control. So then following that, these scientists developed a test that people could take to measure our level of these virtues. 
and it's called the via. Now, your role is that you then statistically studied and analyzed. So they, so they were looking at all the religions and Plato and Aristotle and saying, what do they have in common? And they came up with these virtues. Right. But then you actually brought in statistics to analyze people that took that test of these virtues. You looked at more than 12 data sets and combined, it looked at over 1 million people that took this test. Mm-hmm. Or, or similar. And then you simplified these virtues down to just three. And they are caring, inquisitiveness, and self-control, which you wrote about in a 2018 article in the Journal of Positive Psychology, and it's called The Scarecrow, The Tin Woodsman, and The Cowardly Lion. Mm-hmm which is apropos, so caring, inquisitiveness, and self-control. So I want to begin, Bob, by just sharing something personal because I am uh, someone that grew up in the northeast of the United States and grew up Roman Catholic, and I was startled when I looked at the original six virtues that they came up with. Um, I've done so much meditation on what's called the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit Mm. and also the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I was startled with the overlap. Yeah. Well, sure, that makes sense because what they were really looking for is the common elements across different traditions. So, you know, I think that um, someone who is very interested in Greek philosophy. And I actually deal talk a lot with people who specialize in Greek philosophy. They see it echoing things in Greek philosophy. And I think people who are Taoists can see a lot of their religion in those, in these factors. And I think it says something about the human spirit, that there is this commonality to what we see as... Um, more even than morality, a life well-lived, this idea that a life that contributes to not only you, but what is going on around you, to the, to the people around you, to your whole community, that there are certain kind of universals to what that life that is well-lived would involve. It's comforting to know that there are universals. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and that whole issue of universals... Uh, uh, someone who does research, it's a, it's a tough question because, of course, how do you know when something is universal, you know? I mean, it's not like we've gone to every culture in the world and said, do you understand these concepts? But um, the fact that so many moral traditions have picked up on these same issues says to me that there is something that's universal to it. And in fact, I even have an article that I'm working on now where I connected with evolution. That, oh. that these, that there were, um, you know, if you look at other species, other species have the basics of caring. You know, they have this, there's a, a lot of species that have moral sentiments. Um, what do you, what do you see there with other species of showing moral sentiments of caring? Well, there are, uh, you know, there's a, a biologist named Franz DeWells who's become very famous for this kind of thing. And you'll see that, um, 
For example, in chimpanzees, if one member of a group is suffering, another member of the group will come over and hug them. Hmm. And there's no reason that they would. I mean, they're, there's, there's, they're not getting anything for it. It's just a sense of uh, companionship. It's that even primates can see um, other primates, I should say, since we're primates, um, <laughs> that they, they can see that someone is suffering and they recognize the feeling and they want to take it away. So I think there's really something, it's not only universal in the sense that all cultures have it, but I think particularly for these three things that, I, that I've been talking about, caring, inquisitiveness, and self-control, you can even see it evolving over different species over time. I have noticed caring in my experience with dogs, for sure. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Actually, it's interesting. Um, there aren't an awful lot of, of species that have this, the ability to, um, you know, when you think about that idea of self-control, it's being able to put things aside for a goal that, that, um, is very far in the future or that is very, or to do something that's very scary to you. Very few uh, species can do that. Uh, self-control. That self-control piece is really a very late addition, but you see it in some other primates. Who else shows self-control? Oh, that's a good question. There's uh, There's been a couple of studies and found that there are some um, primate species, I believe orangutans can, can will show self-control for a long-term goal. Um, but it's really very unusual among other species. So that's, but it's, so that's a pretty late evolutionary development. So the, the, I, I, the, the take home point here is that it's not only universal in the sense that every culture has them, but also you can even see it developing across species. Hmm. Very interesting stuff. And I was also startled with the commonality of these virtues uh, with Abraham Maslow's work. So I've always admired Abraham Maslow and it's because of Maslow that I left uh, the idea of becoming an attorney and entered psychology as really? a Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. So what about Maslow's work made you think that? I read a biography. I was actually working in Washington, D.C. as an intern for the D.C. Public Defender Service. It was huh. a very okay. interesting internship uh-huh. um, as an intern investigator but I joined the public library and I picked up a biography about him. And I just loved how he looked at what was positive about human beings mm-hmm. and how he looked at exceptional human beings and wanted to study what is it about them. And I, I was inspired. I changed mm-hmm. my entire path oh. because of it. So, you know, the the area of psychology that all this stuff about character and virtue comes out of is called positive psychology. Yes. And Maslow actually coined that term. I didn't know he coined it. I yeah, know he did. that he yeah. that was the path. Yeah, yeah that made he actually. Him. I think it was a chapter that yeah. was called Positive Psychology in one of his oh, books. Wow. Well, he he was inspired by a vision that he had about a peace table at the United Nations, where at that peace table they used psychology to come up with how we could all get along. Mm. Yeah. So that's one of the things that had really got me interested in this area. I mean, um, I've only been studying this area for about five years now. Um, that's it? Yeah, yeah. Before that, I was doing other stuff. And uh, 
what attracted me to it, I actually, I was actually interested in philosophy before I got interested in psychology. Um, and it was actually philosophy that, that led me to psychology. And, um, I, you know, I think that what really attracted me to this was that it creates the opportunity to, for psychologists to really think deeply and scientifically about what it means to live a life well, you yes. know, and not just a life where you're happy, but a life where you're, you're not only happy, but you're also contributing to the people around you. Yes. And citizenship is a part of this. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, it it was always about more than just let's help people get happier. It was also, and that's why they looked at moral traditions, was that they were really interested in what have people said in the past about what it means to be a good person, what it means to be someone who contributes. Yeah. I um, wanted to talk about courage. And I'm thinking about a patient that I have who I am so proud of her. She went through the trauma of, so her father is an illegal immigrant Mm. and he was deported not long ago and he found his way back and she wants him to be able to get a green card. Mm -hmm. And there is a program in place called um, Parole in Place where if you have a family member that is in the U.S. military, then there can be a way for an illegal immigrant to get a green card. Mm -hmm. So for her father, she's entering basic training. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And in our last session before she went off to basic training, she asked me how she could have the courage to get through basic training. Hmm. And I already feel like she has so much courage. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, you know, think about that. So think about the, the three things that I think are kind of essential. There's um, inquisitiveness, self-control, which courage is a part of, yeah. and um, uh, caring. That she's doing this because she cares for him. Yes. And she has figured out something through her inquisitiveness. That's she right. she learned something. Uh, you know, I really do believe that all three of these factors play into the good decisions we make constantly. They have to interact. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. In fact, there's a whole there's an old term in philosophy um, that Aristotle didn't say this, but they trace the idea to Aristotle. It's called the reciprocity of the virtues. That no one virtue by itself is really virtuous, hmm. that you have to have all the virtues. And I think that's really true that a person who is just about caring, but they don't follow through, isn't virtuous. A person hmm. who can be incredibly productive, but doesn't care about other people or doesn't think about the world, isn't virtuous. And a person who just sits there and spends all their time you know, reading and thinking and, and developing new ideas, but doesn't really help anybody else and doesn't really, you know, doesn't produce something for other people, they're not really virtuous. And a person lacking in temperance. That, which is part of self-control. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. if they're... That you have to be controlled. Always yeah. 
let's say they're always uh, drunk or high. Right, right. They cannot be virtuous. Right, because they're not showing self-control. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, my feeling is that if you look at people who are really acting virtuously, that they're not only contributing to themselves, but they're contributing to people around them. I think you almost always see all three of those things of self-control, inquisitiveness, Mm. and caring. Yeah, so um, this young lady had already shown all of those. Right, right. Yeah. And she was going to face physical, you know, she was going to be challenged physically in basic training, but then there's also the psychological challenge that she'd face, which they they do right, as part right. of it. Um, and I, I think she's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, But think I of I the predict. sacrifice. You know, there's a way yeah. that... She can say, I'm doing this for my father. Yeah. That's going to carry her. That's right. But there might be times where she's going to have to face her own doubts. And she, she said, what if I'm in basic training and I say, I can't do this anymore. And that's one of the things she was going to remind herself. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, good for her. Where does humility fall in this. I have a real interest in humility. You know, humility is sort of interesting. Um, The Greeks definitely did not consider humility a virtue. No? No. They were like, oh, you can be as arrogant as a snot as you want to be. They really were like, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a great person and I want you to know about it. They, they did not consider humility to be that important. Hmm. Um, humility really comes into thinking, at least in the West, it really comes into thinking about what it means to be a good person with Christianity. Oh, okay. That's where it came. Yeah, that the, you know, the idea that, um, uh, you know, so uh, I've said this to you before, that one of the things that's really interesting about Jesus um, as 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 a thinker is that it's really with Christianity for the first time that you see um, a, a kind of morality that focuses on really giving of yourself to other people. Um, that if you look at the philosophies before then, it was about being a good citizen, but not, not going too crazy about it. You know, So for example, mm-hmm. um, the Greeks thought you could have too much of a virtue. Um, and so... They, you know, they kind of said, look, be generous, be kind, be thoughtful, but don't go too far with it. And it was really Jesus's uh, philosophy that led to the belief of, no, you really give and you go out beyond yourself. And humility started to become uh, a concept of interest because if you do things that are good, but you do them primarily to get attention for it then that's not true goodness from a Christian perspective. Yes. So it was really then that people started to think about humility. Um, I have to say, so in thinking about what are essential virtues, what are the truly universal virtues, I don't know if I would include humility in that list. No. But having said that, I think that we often, we also make judgments about other people in terms of how good they are. And... We use humility sometimes in making those judgments. You know, the person who's always bragging about the great things they do, um, 
doesn't impress you nearly as much as the person where you find out that they're doing good things. Do you ever watch the show The Good Place? No. So there's one character who ultimately doesn't get into heaven because even though she's done all of these incredibly good things, she's always bragging about about them. And Uh. so because of that, they weren't done with an open heart. They were really just to get attention. Yes. And we use, I, I think there's something true in that, that we use that information in judging another person. So if I, you know, if you find out that I dedicate time to the humane society and I don't ever mention it to anybody, that's much more impressive to you than my doing it. Yeah. Than if I go, hey, do you know I volunteer for the humane society? It's so true. In the same way that a compliment is better when it's heard secondhand, not directly. Um, just as an, an analogy that I'm thinking about. And I was thinking about this with Ben Franklin and his own quest for moral excellence. And he had come up with 12 virtues for himself mm-hmm. that he was going to work on. And I know you've you've um, presented on this, which I didn't know until tonight, that you've, you've actually presented on this topic. Yeah. And he was fine with his 12... And then his friend was like, Ben, I need to talk to you about something. And we see you as arrogant. (laughs) And Uh I I have his autobiography with me. Hold on a second. Because it's precious. Just um, his friend had said, his Quaker friend said that, he said, I was generally thought proud. Pride showed itself frequently in conversation and overbearing came up is how, <laughs> how they described them. So then after that, he said, I forbid myself to use words like certainly, undoubtedly. And then when I thought someone was an error, I denied myself the pleasure of contradicting him abruptly and showing immediately some absurdity in his proposition And instead he started to use words like, well, it appeared or seemed to be different. Mm -hmm. He changed how he spoke. And, um, but going back, he added a 13th of virtue Uh and it was humility. But you know, what's, what's interesting about that story is the question that, that you ask is, was he just changing his wording, but still being arrogant in his head? Because, wow. because if he's, if in that particular situation, true change would actually be more inquisitiveness and being more open to the other person. To being truly right. be inquisitive. That's right. That's right. Oh, and that's right. one of the three virtues that that's you right. came up with. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't get off them. <laughs> <laughs> well, statistically, they, you know. Hey, can you? this After is one truth, million right? people have been tested. <laughs> Although yeah. if I'm really inquisitive, I'll say, but I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. So cleanliness was excluded, I notice. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, I, I promise I'm a very clean person. I have nothing against <laughs> cleanliness. But, uh, you know, that actually touches on an interesting point, which is that... Um, so, you know, you mentioned that I've I've talked about Franklin in some of my presentations. And the reason yeah. I've talked about him is because I've reviewed um, virtue lists over the centuries. 
And there are at least 20 of them that yes. have been suggested over the, over the, the centuries. The, the Jains religion has one. The Plato and Aristotle each had their own list. The, the Catholic Church has one. There have been at least six or seven just in the 20th century. Uh, actually, probably more than that now I think about it. Um, but one of the things that has struck me about them is because, you know, no one gets to say what is a virtue and what isn't a virtue. Like some of the vir- things that are listed as virtues are really very um, um, culturally valued things as opposed to something that's a universal good. Yes. So things like, as a matter of fact, there's a good story about that with chastity. Um, so, you know, Ben Franklin included chastity in his list. Yes. Actually, yes. actually, ben, yeah, Ben Franklin actually liked to have lots of sex with lots of different women. Um, his, and yet he put it. And yet chastity was on his list because it was one of the traditional Christian virtues. And so he added it to the list. But for him, that meant not too much sex. <laughs> Is that there in his autobiography? That doesn't get mentioned in his autobiography, that, but he did admit vague. that. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Uh, kind of, you know, so, <laughs> so he was willing to accept chastity as long as he got to define it his own way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I think one thing that's really important in thinking about virtues is and why I'm really interested in this idea of what are the essential virtues is um, uh, what does it really take to be a good person? You know, I think cleanliness is an important thing. In fact, uh, I don't know. Have you ever have you read Steven Pinker's book on um, the um, angels of our better birth? angels of yeah. our nature? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so, I you have. know, his thing about cleanliness. Um, You'll have to remind me. So. But I can tell you, I love his philosophy. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a very good book, and yeah. you know, and the, for those of you who haven't read it, it's it's a it's a discussion of how it is that violence and um, aggression has so dramatically declined a- across all cultures in the world, and the evidence is really clear that it has that people yes. are much kinder to each other than they ever have been in history, and. It's a hopeful book. Yeah, and you know we we're get so better. we are. Yeah. You know we, because of the news, we we think we're getting worse when in fact we're getting better. And but he he raises a bunch of issues, and one of them is cleanliness. That when people were smelly and looked horrible, um, people connected to each other less. And as people have gotten more mannered and cleaner um, and more fastidious about how they you know they look. Um, it makes it easier for us to connect to each other. So I don't know if cleanliness is a virtue, but I think it has been a good thing. It probably is very cultural, but it could also fall under the self-control part uh, for those cultures where where it's valued. Right, right. And what about, um, can you tell us more about inquisitiveness? what it is and what the value is because you touched on it earlier. You know, that's it's a, an interesting question because if you look at moral traditions, it actually probably has been emphasized the least of the three. Like if you go back to Aristotle long time, way back when, he actually broke um, the virtues into moral and intellectual. So he saw inquisitiveness as a virtue. But since then... It kind of lost favor. Um, Part of that actually was because in various cultures, um, they started to put restrictions on on asking questions. 
Um, Christianity was actually very bad about this for a very long time, that they yes. really, there was a book written called The Closing of the Western Mind, and it was about how as the Roman Empire fell, the the, the Christian church exerted its authority by telling people, we have the truth and no one is allowed to ask any questions. And if you ask any questions, we're going to burn you at the stake. Um, and yeah. similar things happened in, in China as well, that there was a kind of a closing of, of mind. And it was really is about social control. Yes. Not eras to be proud of. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, I, but, you know, I can understand at the time, I mean, there were much more primitive times and, and keeping the society stable was really hard to do. And one of the ways they did it was to keep people from asking too many questions. Because once you start to ask questions, you start to say things like, why should things be this way? Right. Now that we're in a much more stable society, we have a much more openness to asking questions. And I think actually that really is the next um, thing for us really to, to, to think about in terms of a virtuous life. Because people really like to be certain about things. They like to believe what they think is right is actually right. Um, and very few times is that true. So I think that, and especially what's going on now with conflict in this country between right and left and between um, uh, upper classes and, and uh, you know, working classes, that that I think a lot of the tension we're seeing is because people believe that what they believe is correct. Right. And they're not open to thinking, let me hear your side. And rather than responding by saying, no, this is why you're wrong, saying, let me think about the possibility that at least to some extent you're right and see if we can find common ground. That is probably the topic of my next podcast. Oh, really? How can we do more of that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. How can we have a better civil conversation between Good. the sides? Wow. Yeah. And you found in your statistical studies that inquisitiveness was the best single predictor of positive emotions. Yeah. Of hope and zest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, okay. So to understand what I mean by that, the person who is inquisitive tends to be the most positive. Well, can you break down what inquisitiveness is a little more? Sure. Define so, it a little yeah. more. Yeah. So, and and part of this comes from the the the, the particular character strengths we're working with, mm -hmm. but it really has to do with a person who is curious, who is creative, who likes to. And when you think about what creativity is, it's creating new ideas. Yes. So it's someone who's willing to play with ideas. Um, and it's someone who loves learning. Yeah. So the person who is open to new ways of thinking, who's curious, is the one who is going to be the most positive. Now, let me let me just be clear that caring also correlates with positive emotions and self-control also correlates with positive emotions, but they correlate less. And I think it's because... Um, Caring doesn't about other people doesn't necessarily lead to positive things all the mm -hmm. time. It is, you know, there um, or the person who is caring isn't always a positive person. Mm -hmm. It's the curious person who tends to be on average the, the most positive. 
Isn't that so interesting? It's yeah. the curious person. Yeah. And there wasn't anything I predicted until we looked at the results. And how, can that be taught? This kind of curiosity. Oh, I think so. I think, you know, one of the problems that we face is that we tell people at a certain point, you have to settle into something. And I think we have to try to encourage people to spend the rest of their lives realizing that they really don't know that much. And it's all a matter of continuing to learn your entire life. Yes. Well, that's something... I find to be so valuable for myself too. Well, I love learning. Uh-huh. I'm always, yeah. I always want to learn more and more, yeah. but um, it's also freeing to know that you don't know that much. Right. By the way, did you take the, the VM questionnaire online? No, I didn't take it. Oh, well, okay. Oh, naughty, <laughs> naughty interviewer. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the things I want to mention to people before um, I forget about it is yes. that the questionnaire with the 24 character strengths yes. is available free online. Uh, the website is viacharacter.org. And it's, uh, it's uh, not, a, not a terribly long questionnaire. It's about, I think, uh, 120 items. And you get scores on the 24 character strengths. And it tells you which are your highest and which are your lowest. And uh, I got to tell you, people who take it really feel like they get a lot out of it. That that's the longer version, right? The hundred and twenty. Well, that's version. the one that they give online for okay. free, and it's for yeah. free. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are, are yeah. there any other free ones? There are. You know what? There aren't any. There's actually a longer one, a two hundred forty items. That's. Okay. Uh, there's another website called Authentic Happiness that has the two hundred forty item version. Okay. Um, but this one is at viacharacter.org. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's nice, a free resource. Yeah, absolutely. And people who fill it out really feel like they get a lot out of it. So then they, when they take that, they find out their signature strengths. Is that what it's called? Yeah, they get, well, they get their, their, their how they fall on all 24 of the strengths. Okay. And then the ones that are at the top are called signature strengths because they tend to be seen as the ones where people go, yeah, these are really who I am as a person. And it's helpful to people. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then they could look at their bottom Right. They can also what look at the bottom the ones and, yeah, and decide, you know, am I okay with that or do I want to focus on these more? Yeah. There's actually been some studies where people had, uh, where the researchers had people use their bottom strengths more and found that, that people got benefit from it. That would make sense. Yeah, sure. Or you could just focus on strengthening what you already have. Well, there are other peop- other studies where they've had people use their signature strengths more and that also tends to result in people feeling better. I was looking at the the VIA website and um, I found it was a study about children. They looked at young children to see what are their top character strengths, very young children. Mm-hmm. And before I say... That was less than 10, right? They were like little kids. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to remember what age. It was like 5 to 10 or something like that. And... Um, I had always wondered about something that Jesus said in my tradition. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. So now this study found the order of character strengths of these young children mm-hmm. with love at the top, then kindness, and then curiosity. Yeah, yeah. That was so sweet yeah, to, yeah. to read that. 
I think that study hasn't been published yet. It was, it's like in press. Really? Oh, boy. I thought that was an... Uh, well, maybe I'm thinking of a different study. Well, I might yeah. be mixing them up yeah. too. Okay. Um, but you know, I think the thing is that when Jesus said that, I think there is truth to that. But I also think that being a good person is a lifetime activity. And that you take the skills of the child, that curiosity, that capacity for love, that that moral sentiment, and you spend your life building on it. Yes. So you can be both childlike for your entire life and yet incredibly sophisticated. Um, you know, it's one of the ways where the Greek tradition really differs from the, uh, from the Christian tradition. And I've really learned a lot from looking at the differences between them okay. because they're both valid, but yes. they really emphasize very different things. And so... You know, as you said, the Christian tradition really focuses on that kind of innate tendency to care about other people. Yes. And the Greek tradition focused much more on how we have to mature as good people. That's more the self-control. That's well, but also inquisitiveness, you okay. know, that that you continue to question, am I a good enough person? Yes. We need to continually question it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Because, you know, I think sometimes, for example, cultures have um, evil traditions. You know, we were a slave society until fairly recently. And people who weren't questioning things just accepted that yes. as a given of life. And it was only when people started to say, yes, I grew up with this tradition. It has been my tradition my entire life but there is something evil about it that, that it changed. And that takes an adult perspective on things. And it also takes a listening inwards because I often, I wonder about the people of that era and how they were living with slavery. And I wonder if they, how many of them had that feeling inside that said, this does not feel good. This doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And yet they ignored it for, right. for, many reasons. And I think about that for myself today. And I think about what is it in my world that I don't feel good about mm -hmm. that I carry on. Right. Um, and I think probably it would be, if, if I were a more compassionate person, I would stop eating meat, uh -huh. but I am not sure. at yeah. this time. Yeah. Yeah. I like meat it doesn't, too much. It doesn't feel great. Uh -huh. Like the, the thought of it. Uh -huh. um, and yet, yeah, I'm still a carnivore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, but I think that's really what's you're picking up on something really important, which is that you have to be questioning yourself to develop a mature sense of morality. Yes. And you can't just say what I was told is right and wrong is okay. Yes. Little kids, they are told things and they go, okay, then that's the right thing. The rule. That's yeah. Since that's the rule, that's the way it should be. And it really takes, and I think one of the issues is that slavery went away when people started to be inquisitive about it. When they started to say, is this really the right way? And yes. then the, their inquisitiveness as an adult combined with their moral sentiments that they've had since they were a little kid to make, and then they worked at it because of their self-control 
and they were able to end slavery. Yeah, it's also the way people relate to authority as well. It has to do That's with, right. with Absolutely, fear. Yes. It has yeah. to do with fear yeah. or a sense of empowerment. Right. But more often than not, I think it's that sim- people simply accept what they're told is right or wrong. Yes. And you have to question those things. It's it's very good to think about. Yeah. Can we have too much of a virtue? You know, that's a really good question. Um, the Christian tradition is you can't. The um, The Greek tradition was definitely you could have too much. What I think is the problem is when you have what I said before, that whole issue of the reciprocity of, of the virtues, that yes. if you only have one, but you don't have the others, you're not a virtuous person. So if you're someone who is driven at work and um, can produce and produce and you get higher and higher in the organization and more successful and more money, but you're basically a jerk <laughs> or you never question anything in life. You just go through your days and don't ever think maybe things should be different than they are. You're not a virtuous person. So um, I actually, over time, have started to think maybe you can't have too much of a virtue. Hmm. Um, I know there are people who disagree with me about that. But I think it's more that you have to have a balance between the virtues. You have to have all of them. And you need to try to develop all of them. Yes. This is a very philosophical discussion. It is. What about humor? Okay, we'll lighten it up. What happened to humor in the virtues list? Well, that's a good one. Again, I don't think it's a virtue, but it's definitely a character strength. Okay. You know, I don't think you need to have a good sense of humor to be a virtuous person, but boy, does it help. <laughs> yes, it you, does. You know, and, uh, and I'm, I'm glad it was included in the list of the character strengths, of the 24 character strengths. Where did it fall under? Which, which virtue did it fall under in the original six? It's transcendence. Oh, transcendence. Yeah, because, you know, humor has that element to it of I'm just a nothing in this universe and, you know, we're all just, what's that old line by Wavy Gravy, we're all bozos on this bus, you know, that uh, the ability to make fun of yourself yes, is really kind of a transcendent experience. It is. And also to be able to share that with other people. Well, there could be an element of love in the way you share it. Oh, yeah, Um, definitely. But inquisitiveness, too, because I think humor can be very intelligent. Oh, I think actually uh, humor ended up pretty high on the inquisitive factor. Oh, okay. Yeah. I do think, yeah, it does does require a certain level of um, maybe intelligence, but, but even maybe more important than that is a willingness to play with things and play with the rules. Yeah. To... To have a good sense of humor. And sometimes humor is saying what everyone is thinking, but no one will say. That's right. Yeah. So it can have a courage element to it too, a self-control element. How can people find you? <laughs> and how can people, yeah, I'll put on, I'll put on the write-up about how people can find your new book. Okay. Say the title again of your new book. Sure. It's The Power of Character Strengths. Yes. Um, and uh, with my incredibly 
uh, impressive co-author Ryan Nemiak, who has written probably more on um, how to use character strengths to improve your life than almost anybody. Excellent. Um, and, so um, the two of you team together for this book. Yeah, for this one, because it's, yeah. you know, it's sort of more focusing on what the character strengths are, um, as well as how you can use them. So it was really my specialty, which is, you know, what are the character strengths, what are their structure, and his specialty, which is how you use them effectively. How to develop them. Yeah. Will teach you how to develop yes. them. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. There's actually a whole section called Strengths Builder, which hmm. is about a series of exercises for how to build your character strengths. So it's, it's a, I, I think it's a really neat book. That'll that I may be, be great. Biased. That's yeah. one way for people to, to develop their character. So the power of character strengths yep. coming out early 2019. And then they can also go to viacharacter.org to take that free test. That's right. Yep. Uh, yeah. If you just go there, it says, you know, take the test and you just click on the button and you register and then it just gives you the questions and you immediately get feedback about it. Excellent. And if someone had a question for you, how could they find you? Well, you can use my Fairleigh Dickinson email, which is mcgrath at fdu.edu. That's M-C-G-R-A-T-H at fdu.edu. And I promise to respond. So we are here at your home and Deb is cooking something for us tonight. My delightful wife. Deb, so for the listeners, Deb is was the first guest on the very first podcast that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm looking forward to that because she's also a gourmet cook. Yep. Yep. So we are going to enjoy ourselves. <laughs> Thank you for talking with me today on Psychology America. Oh, it's and been for a pleasure. sharing all of, all of your knowledge with listeners and with myself. Happy to it's do a it. Pleasure for me too. Okay. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Psychology America with Dr. Alexandra, show your support by leaving an awesome rating on iTunes. If you'd like to share your comments or ideas about this podcast, follow us on Facebook under Alexandra Miller. Lastly, Dr. Alexandra has written an inspiring children's book entitled There's Always Hope, a story about overcoming, which is beautifully illustrated by Brianna Giasulo. There's Always Hope, a story about overcoming, teaches children about finding joy and gratitude, even when things don't go exactly as planned, and can be found at psychologyamerica.com or amazon.com.